Welcome everyone to the Grainmaker Wrestling Podcast, a Prairie Proud Wrestling Podcast covering everything from Winnipeg to worldwide. My name is Blair Pacheco. I hope you're doing well. Hope you're having a great day, evening, weekend, whatever it is you're sitting down to listen to this. The fall season is kicking into gear. You know, we're already into September and we're a few weeks removed from LPW 18. And if you watched like I did, you go, you saw everything that went down the, the the post-match beatdown, so to say, at the end of the show, the, the kerfluffle. Now, we're going to talk about LPW18. We're going to talk about so much more because joining me this week on the Greenmaker Wrestling Podcast, Judge Ben Omen. Ben, how are things going? Dude, I'm great. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, I'm doing good, and it's my pleasure. You know, um, I've been able to watch, you know, from a distance, your career and you know everything with the rads grow so it's it's a pleasure to finally get a chance to talk to you and like just to learn more about you so that's I'm, cool I'm okay i can't that. wait to tell you my life i'll tell you whatever <laughs> you want to hear man <laughs> well i mean we could start from the very beginning so like i mean growing up what was it that drew you to professional wrestling as a fan okay gotcha yeah so um my my grandfather was a big wrestling fan, and he was really big in the Stampede uh, from Calgary. He used to watch it. He lived in Edmonton, watched it on TV, uh, and then he was really big into WWF as well at the time. So I got introduced to uh, wrestling at about – I was born in 95, so I was probably four or five years old. I remember watching the Armageddon Hell in a Cell pay-per-view in 2000. That's my first okay. wrestling memory that I have is Rikishi getting thrown off the cage. Uh, so I used to yes. watch it a lot with my family. So it was a big part of the uh, kind of omen system to be watching wrestling. My brother was really big into it as well. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and that's actually, uh, my brother's a big factor of actually why I got into working uh, as like a referee in, in training in the independent wrestling kind of scene. Uh, my brother, uh, he has a friend who used to train with uh, a couple guys out of uh, Prey Wrestling Alliance in Edmonton. Yeah. Uh, and this was in about 2005, 2006, he was training. So he had a show where either he was refing or he was volunteering or something. He was at one of the Nate shows. And um, so I went to my first event. It was the Night of Champions event in June of like 20, no, 2006, I think was the first show I went to. Okay. And at that show, uh, Tyson Kidd or TJ Wilson uh, did this big uh, kind of Harlan hangover um uh, like a like a senton leg drop from the top of the cage through uh, to Duke Durango, who was draped through the ropes. Okay, so he mm-hmm. comes off this huge twenty foot cage and does this crazy flip, and the crowd just went nuts. Um, and at that point, I was probably like ten years old, and I was absolutely hooked on the local scene for indie wrestling. So um, I found I've spent more of my time watching the local stuff than really I have focused on watching TV wrestling. See, I find that very interesting because, I mean, everyone's gateway into wrestling usually is, you know, WWF or something of that nature. And I find more and more out West, it's Stampede is the introduction. Yeah. And rightfully so, because it is so prominent in Canadian history. But to hear that you were more, almost more invested in the independence because of that, like, I find that pretty damn cool. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Stampede because in a way, uh, it it all kind of ties back to that. So uh, I, I'm not sure how much uh, or how familiar you are with uh, like the Alberta wrestling scene history in the early 2000s, but basically um, PWA started running in Edmonton, from my understanding, after Stampede, their relaunch in the late 90s, after they stopped running Edmonton, um, PWA launched up within about a year or two of that time. So they were kind of the continuation, um, without being officially tied to Stampede, they were the kind of the fan uh, carry-on uh, legacy, I guess, of Stampede mm-hmm. PWA became. Um, uh, running, they, uh, just like, they at the time, they were using a lot of guys that uh, were working for Stampede Wrestling in Calgary in the early 2000s, uh, would come up and do all the Edmonton shows, so it was a shared roster as well. It was, um, it's, it's cool to see how Stampede really affected and 
almost molded the future of promotions, which was PWA. And then obviously a bunch of other promotions throughout Alberta have kind of followed that stampede style, you, whether it's booking or, or storytelling, like the things that made stampede so good, all those characteristics kind of show up in all the independents from around here. You, you see it in uh, LPW, you see it in, like I said, PWA, you see it in RCW, you see it all over the place. Like the influence that stampede has really had in this area. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Even Definitely. Dungeon. I mean, Dungeon is literally like, it, it's it's not Stampede, but it's Stampede. Like, it's amazing. Yeah, it's such it's, a blast from the past. It's very Stampede adjacent away. Yeah. 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 So, um, so, I mean, did you continue going to local shows after that one? Like, that was your entry point. You were hooked from that right. point forward? Well, yeah. I, I went to shows for probably about four or five years after that until mm-hmm. I was probably about 16 is when I stopped going. Uh, just at the time, kind of grew out of wrestling. I wasn't watching it on TV anymore. I just had different interests and everything. Um, and then I, the, I started going back around the time that Taker lost at WrestleMania 30 was when okay. I started getting really back into wrestling because that happened. And I was like, I got to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I basically that's where I started breaking into the business. So I met um, a friend of mine um, through some mutual friends and his dad was the head referee of Monster Pro Wrestling in Edmonton, uh, Kevin. And basically Kevin gave me the opportunity to start training with Monster Pro. Um, And this was in early, early 2016. So I got uh, a really lucky chance because for the longest time I, as a kid, I wanted to be in the business in some form. And I actually wanted to be a ref. Like that was what I wanted to do since I was a kid. Um, So when I was kind of introduced to somebody who he was like, Oh yeah, my dad's a referee. Like come talk to him and see, maybe you can like go to a mini camp or learn how to get into the business at least if you're interested. Uh, And I had seen a couple monster pro wrestling shows as a kid as well growing up. And then, uh, but I hadn't been in like 10 years. So um, I got a chance to, I didn't really know Kevin super well, um, but I got to meet him. He became one of my mentors. He trained me. Um, like I, I owe a lot of my career to how Kevin taught me the fundamentals and the respect of wrestling, like very influential and in how I developed into a referee. But anyways, I met Kevin uh, and then he took me to the training school, which was in a gold's gym in West Edmonton. And mm-hmm. uh, I met with uh, massive damage and, uh, Chris Parrish and Maniac and the Irishman and all these, um, you know, they were like the Mount Rushmore of MPW at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got really lucky because Kevin was going up north to work and they needed somebody to fill in. So with, I think I had, and I wouldn't recommend this for anybody, but I think I had like three weeks of training before I had my first show. And uh, I definitely look back at those matches and I'm like, oh, wow, I did pretty good for knowing nothing. Mm-hmm. But I, it's it's wild to watch that and then watch something that I've done recently just to see like the what you learn from eight or so years of refereeing. But that's how I kind of got back into it. it was Kevin was mm-hmm. my main reason. Well, how nervous were you that first time you're called to be a referee? Because I mean, it's like after three weeks training, I mean, you know, like you're going to put your best foot forward but the nerves have to just be like off the charts. Oh yeah i you know i thinking back to it i can't really recall how what i was like nerve wise i met like i imagine probably pretty nervous i had never been a refereed in front of a crowd before right so it, it was a pretty cool experience though like the the fans didn't eat me alive the first time I came out which is pretty rare for a ref you usually get mauled by the fans especially in (laughs) western Canada for some reason um but uh the fans didn't hate me too bad I I did okay I remember my first match was a triple threat it was um Cody uh what was his name Cody a young blood Cody Blade at the time so Lil Blade now uh, there was El Diablo, who's awesome, and I want to say Kid Cyrus, who is now Dalton Rogue, were in the first match that I ever. Maybe it was Kato. It was one of the uh, three of them, um, and it was that. That was a scary moment for me to actually have to move around and try and do this in front of fans. And I remember being pretty happy with the match, and I came back, and then one of them was like, "Yeah, great job, but just remember when you're like pinning someone, maybe check the shoulders." And I was like, well, what do you mean? And then I watched the footage back and like, I'm at their feet counting, like not even looking at their shoulders. Right? Like wasn't ready to be in there, but I was really yeah. happy to be there. And uh, some of the vets over a short period of time actually took me under their wing and kind of 
allowed me in, which was uh, it, uh, a huge blessing to have those kind mm-hmm. of people to actually kind of you know, let me in a little bit. It, it's hard to trust new people in the business just because you want that respect and the tradition to pass, pass down. And especially as a ref, it's such a flash in the pan position where people come in and come out of refereeing all the time. So uh, being able to stick around for more than a couple months, they were like, okay, this guy treats it legit. So yeah. I was, I, I'm glad I stuck around for as long as I did because uh, like those, some of those vets are some of my best friends now and like have really uh, been so impactful on uh, how and why I do indie wrestling these days. Now you had mentioned three weeks of training and mm-hmm. if you don't mind, what like when you're becoming a referee, what does the training consist of? Right. Um, it, it depends. Like everybody learns differently and everybody gets brought into the business as a ref differently. Um, I know some people who never trained and were just thrown into the ring. And if you have a good understanding of wrestling, like any sport, uh, you kind of know what the rules are. You can, mm-hmm. you can do with the majority of the work. Um, but hmm, like when I first started, what I would do is they would go, okay, well, they're going to go over some spots or they're going to uh, do a, like a sparring match and a quick chain kind of gimmick. And I would go in and they would just tell me to shoot it, everything. Okay. And that's how I learned the most actually was just, and then from there, it's like checking shoulders and making sure they're not the ropes or under the ropes and do the basics. But then mm-hmm. from there, it's the, uh, it was more about positioning and, why I would react a certain way to a heel or a face and the deeper understanding. And that's where those vets came in because it's one thing to move around the ring and get up and down and count some threes and count some fours. And I've got till five like you, but it's another thing to understand why you're doing them or, Mm -hmm. or who you're directing them at. Like something as small as I remember somebody explaining in the early days of training, like, Oh, when you, you know, you count to two, then you chuck up fingers to tell people what the number was who are you saying that to? And I'm thinking, well, it's probably the fans, right? But no, like you should be talking to the timekeeper, the person who's ringing the bell. Like that's the, in reality, in the UFC, in a boxing match, in the Olympics, that's what they would be doing if that was yeah. the call, right? It's like, if you're just pantomiming or, you know, carnying it, like what's the point? Um, mm-hmm. To keep it as legit as possible. That was like the, the big step. But as far as the training itself goes, a lot of my stuff was following them around with sparring matches or, uh doing like if they were doing pin drills or like blow up drills is being there and doing all the counts. So, you know, come in quick, roll up, hit the ropes, do a spot, roll up again or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. And just getting up and down and doing the counts and basically getting blown up and then still being able to maintain my consistency and timing. That was the main thing that we worked on a lot of times in the early stages, but I think I got it lucky. Like I actually got to get into a school to be a ref, um, and that's not super common at any school. It's it's hard to find a school that'll train a referee. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that I got that opportunity because I, I think at the time there was maybe only two or three schools in the province. And I, and I don't know if they would have trained referees specifically. Usually it's like a wrestler and then they end up becoming a referee. Yeah. So you learn that. So I, I did have to go through all of the basics of like how to roll and how to lock up and do like the, the bare, bare minimum, maybe even less because of being a ref and wanting to only be a ref. But uh, yes, most of the time people either have to go through wrestling training or they just get thrown into it. And mm-hmm. sometimes they make even better refs if you're, um, if you're being able to wrestle first, obviously. Well, I, I mean, that's a great way, like just to kind of get more familiar with everything is like watching two guys sparring and just following along with that, you mm-hmm. know, making the proper calls. I mean, it's all, it's as close to the real thing as you can probably get without just doing a, a full on practice match. So, I mean, exactly. That's, that's pretty, I mean, beneficial. I think so. Um, and I've learned to really appreciate chain wrestling and that kind of technical mat wrestling a lot more because of it. Um, mm-hmm. Cause that was really heavy in the training for all the guys that I was around at the time when I was deep in training in 2016 to 2018, let's say. Um, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of good practice for a lot of good grappling people. Did you ever have any thoughts of actually becoming a wrestler or was it always uh, refereeing? No, not you know what, not really. Like when I as a kid, I was like, oh, I'm gonna be a wrestler. And then when I got really big into watching PWA, I was a huge fan of the Fitz, uh, who was who's the PWA uh head referee, LPW referee, dungeon referee. He's amazing. Um 
he, I watching him, I was like, wow, I, I like, I love what he does. I love how animated he is, but how hidden he is. Like, he's just so like, he's, he's professional. He's great. Um, so that made me really want to be a ref, but mm-hmm. the more I've been in the business and the more I've been around wrestling, the more I want to, like, I, I've always said, I want to do like three matches in my entire career. I don't really mm-hmm. ever want to wrestle full time, but when that time comes, I'd much rather be trained and able to do it. Like it's, I don't want to step in with the training I have. Cause I, I shouldn't be on any card as a wrestler. Like I, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm, I can admit that because I've spent all of my time refereeing and yeah. managing, but refereeing mainly. Um, but yeah, I do want, the more I'm in it, the more I want to. Uh, yeah. and, and like, I, I keep getting the itch. I'm like, man, I got to go to clandestine society and I got to go train. And then I'm like, but, but later. So I'm waiting for that bug <laughs> man, for that, that final inspiration to be like, just do it. Um, yeah. may, maybe this conversation is that maybe I just should, but I, I, I kind of, like, I want to, I want to be able to do it, but I, I really want to referee my whole career, which is, uh, I guess it's not a common thing in wrestling to have like lots of referees that stay refereeing the whole time. Usually mm-hmm. they, they branch off and like, for example, uh, I think Mojibari started as a ref in PWA and now he's like one of the most prolific wrestlers in Canada. Like, yeah. um, a lot of guys start out that way, but I, I, unlike most of those guys, I want to stay refereeing. So I've got the bug, but it, it's like the right time has to come for that to be a thing. It, it's tough sometimes because like, I know, you know, whether it's, you know, like say doing something like a podcast or, you know, becoming a wrestler, you, people always say like, uh, you know, eventually, eventually. And then like, uh-huh. sometimes it's just like having to jump in with two feet and like just going with it but it's it's tough to get to that point so it's understandable yes Yes. and and i i've been around wrestling so long that i feel like the standard is so high to like for what i would want to be able to do in the ring as Mm -hmm. a wrestler um so i've been around such like talented individuals that it's like how would i be able to hang with them if all i can do is like a couple basic things and and i know that there's more to it than that um and I guess I, I probably know a little more about wrestling than I would assume as far as the mechanics, maybe. But, um, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to lie to you. I really would like to wrestle. A, I mean, I'd wanna, I want to hurt, but I want to wrestle Thaddeus Archer really, really bad. And I know most people would hear that and say, oh, my God, no, do not let the two managers wrestle each other. But, <laughs> but I, I want to I fight Thad. <laughs> Maybe this will be the starting point of this that. is gonna what's gonna build to it, you know. Everything <laughs> everything's gotta start somewhere and that's yeah, it. Take right this here. as my official call out, Thad. I wanna fight you. When I tweet this out, I'm gonna be like, Thaddeus, you'll wanna check this out. <laughs> and it'll be it'll get something brewing. Oh no. He's a heat seeker, man. <laughs> I always enjoy your guys' interactions at the LPW show. Yeah, they're so legit. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that. It's no secret. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. The shit's getting deep now. Um, no, it is. No, no, I, I mean it, man. Like that's a that's a pain in my ass, man. But he is arguably, arguably the most decorated uh, manager um, in Alberta. I think you can you can probably put that. Uh, like all time, I would say like there's some excellent managers in stampede wrestling and there's been excellent guys coming through PWA and monster pro and, and RCW and everything in between there. But Thad has been a consistent in the scene for so long. Um, like he's, he's super good at what he does. Um, and his I, clients always win. Like he's always got a good team with them. Even if I hate seven too, like he's always got good dudes with them. I would like not to make it about him, but I would almost say that, like almost one of the best in Western Canada. No, without question. Um, I can't think of, there's the problem too is like a lot of the guys that he used to manage against the other managers, a lot of them have retired or moved away. Like Dr. Kyoto was another amazing manager who isn't like in Alberta uh, anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. Some are escaping my head. H is another one who was from uh, MPW and he was an awesome manager as well. Um, Johnny Two Fingers in Saskatchewan is solid. Um, oh man, I'm missing somebody. Um, I'm missing like a, a big one. I can't, I can't recall. But there's some excellent managers. But I think Thaddeus Archer is, has has proven over the years of everything he's done through all the independents that that he's one of the best. Mm-hmm. Um, I still hate him though. 
we will jump into more of your almost transition into a, a managerial figure as well. But I wanted to touch on a couple of things because I know, you know, when I'm doing my research, I, I Google Ben Omen and there are more Ben Omens that pop up that I ever would have thought. But <laughs> um, I was able to learn a little bit about you. And I want to talk about that because I learned sure. that you're huge into theater, yep. huge into music. And like with music, what was what's like kind of spurred you into it? Oh, yeah. So it's been around in my life for forever. Uh, my mom's <laughs> a musician. Um, she, uh, her siblings are all really solid orchestra musicians. Um, so I was around that my whole life. Um, she was a piano player. So I got into guitar when I was about 12, just because everybody seems to kind of go through an instrument or something around that mm -hmm. age. Um, but I, I kind of stuck with it. And then by the time I was 16, I had found uh, a bunch of other musicians in the town I lived in. Um, uh, we had started a band and we were playing like every weekend. So it, it was a pretty serious thing for the last couple of years of high school. And then, and then high school ends and then, you know, people move on with their lives and everything. Yeah. But that time in that band got me so, uh, so deep into like uh, the playing and getting better in sight reading. Uh, and when I graduated high school, I went to the McEwen theater program uh, and trained there for a couple of years. Um, and like one of the most intense experiences of my life, because they would keep you there from Monday to Friday, you'd be there from 9am till 10pm. Um, mm -hmm. and then Saturdays you'd have class for the first year it'd be nine to three. Second year is like 12 to five. So you're there six days a week. You're there 13 hour days, most days. Um, so you have no time for a job or a relationship or anything. Um, all you have time for it. It's very immersive in that way. Uh, so I, while this was going on, I was also training to be a referee. So I was trying to fit all this stuff in at once. It was a really, really busy time actually yeah. for me. But um, yeah, theater has been a thing in that I've been around for as long as junior high school. Uh, mm -hmm. Got into it because I, I had some friends who were like, oh, I auditioned for this thing. And I, I didn't really want to, but I wanted to hang out with them. So I was in like Wizard of Oz or something was the first play I was in, I want to say. Something like that. And um, yeah, ever since then, I really got to enjoy it and like the camaraderie and like the... Um, like the, the team aspect to it, which is weird because you think theater and you don't necessarily relate the word team with it, but that's really what it is. It's that ensemble building and like those uh, deeper relationships that I still have to this day. A lot of people that I went through the, my high school program um, and my university program. So uh, I worked a little bit professionally for the first year or two after I graduated, but it's a really hard scene to stay consistently working in um, mm -hmm. because your contracts are, are short typically. So you'll, you know, you're on, your audition after you get that, if you get a part, you'll do rehearsals for maybe anywhere from a week and a half to three weeks. And then your show will run either 10 days shorter, maybe upwards of a month. So at best you're getting a two and a half month contract at worst, you're getting a three week contract and the pay is great. And, and working in that scene is awesome, but it, it's hard to consistently be working unless you're always available, always at the things, always volunteering. And I found during the time that I was working in the theater scene, I, I liked wrestling more. Mm -hmm. I, and I found I, I was more successful at wrestling. And like in the, the pay grades are much different. Um, they're, they're very, it's very different scene when it comes to like financially managing life as a wrestling uh, worker or a theater person, um, mm -hmm. but it's still challenging. I just found like I had so much more success. I felt so much more a part of the wrestling scene than I did uh, working in the theater scene. So nowadays I do a lot more when it comes to theater work, I'm doing uh, musician or session stuff. So okay. I work as like a vocal coach. I, uh, I teach uh, music like privately with guitar, piano or voice. I also, um, I work as a session guitarist for orchestras for musicals. So I, um, so when they have like their pit band of like eight or nine people, I'll sight read charts or whatever. And okay. that has been one of the crazy, that's like the biggest learning curve ever was learning how to work with those musicians. Cause it's like next level. They just like open up a piece of music. It's incredibly hard. And they're like, yeah, let's go. And mm -hmm. I, I like had to learn how to do that over like a short period of time. It's crazy. I, I, I love working in that scene. Like that experience 
as it is has to be something really special because I mean, like when I was like, I was looking up some of the stuff, you know, like you were banned open for prism and stuff like that. And then like to like hear about something like that and like the work that some of those musicians have to go into, you know, to be able to perform in that atmosphere. I mean, and then you're right there too. And you're seeing this, like, that's pretty cool to see. It was super cool. And I was, and I looked back at it and I was like, I was only like 17 when I was doing this. Like I, Mm -hmm. Like I was so lucky to be that involved in and in doing that much stuff with people who were, you know, I, as far as the the smaller Canadian music scene, especially like the classic rock scene, like they were like Prism was somebody who was relatively known in like seventies and eighties, and like people yeah. actually like there's a pretty solid attendance for that show, and to be around those guys and like getting some feedback and some industry kind of knowledge or Iggy's, I guess, um, like I just. I look back and I'm like, what, how did I get into that spot? Like even wrestling is the same way. It's like, how, what did I do to end up in, in these businesses? They're all such like niche, weird things like wrestling referee, guitarist for musicals and, (laughs) and, and theater graduate. Like what, like, why couldn't I just be a plumber? Like, I I don't know, but I'm I'm happy with it. I I am happy with my choices. Like I love being involved with what I do. I almost put prison there with like the street hearts, the troopers, those sort of bands. Yeah. 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 yeah, They always have the following, like they will go, they'll do a show and it'll just be at a bar, but the place will be packed, you know? Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. uh, Yes. It was, it was really cool. There was a couple other groups that we played for after I left the groups. I think that band played, they opened for like men without hats or men at work or something. It was, it was really like they did something. It was, it was strange, but it was like, you know, they've gone on even to do some, really cool stuff so it's just it's i I feel so lucky to have been given these big opportunities with um which feels like it's like almost imposter syndrome like why why did that happen why did i get lucky with that and i and i like i i'm putting the work and everything but it's still good to like count your blessings when it comes to some of those opportunities 100 percent um you mentioned you know getting into theater and stuff like that now is that like were you like a drama kid growing up as well, or is that kind not, of different aspects? Uh, not, not really. Um, no. So I, growing up, I did a lot of basketball because uh, I, okay. I was really tall as a kid. I still am, but like now I'm just like average tall. But I was the yeah. same height at like you know 14. So that it was big help, big help at the time. Um, so I was really big in the basketball, and I kind of got into the fine arts stuff just as like a second thing to do while I was in school for options. Um, mm-hmm. But it kind of took over as like a as like a kind of my drive and passion after I hit high school because my my theater program at the time was super uh, like it. Uh, what's the word for like very in depth, very uh, intense. Like they really cared mm-hmm. about their program. Um, the main reason I got into it and stayed with it though, is just like the friendship and the camaraderie around it. Um, mm-hmm. Like I found like some of the the best friends and like the closest friends, and like the most open people I've met have been a part of that community. Uh, and that's what keeps me kind of around it. And that's why I still try and do those music gigs and, and go and see as many shows in the city as I can, especially the smaller independent shows um, for theater. I just like, I, I really love the camaraderie that it builds and, I think that's why I got so deep into it in my younger years as well. Mm-hmm. When it came to learning guitar, who were some of your bigger influences? Yeah. So I was a huge Ozzy Osbourne fan. So I loved Randy Rhodes. That was my main okay. guitar player. I have one second. I have a photo. Hold on. Okay. Okay. Well, it's not a photo, but I, I was like 14 and I had some money from work and I was like, I'm going to buy this V, which like looks cool when you're 14, but when you're like yeah. playing a jazz show or like a classical show and you <laughs> come in with this, you're playing Greece in like a pit orchestra and you walk in with the RR3. It's like, like who, who did they hire? Like, why did they hire this guy? Um, <laughs> but man, I loved Randy Rhodes. Like I have like my whole pedal board is based off of him. I bought like an amp that like a Marshall amp that would emulate his sound. I was super into Randy Rhodes. Um, I, but I was also really like classical guitar. So I studied with, um, also because Randy Rhodes is a classical guitar player. Um, so I got to study guitar with a guy named Carl Lotzberg, who was one of the, um, like a, a super, um, like a super impressive player. He played on a bunch of like TV shows and he was, uh, the head of the guitar program for the university of Alberta. And, and from okay. my understanding, I think he founded the, not the music program, but the guitar, uh, 
branch of the music program there. So I got to study with him for a couple years, um, just really to focus on sight reading and how to be like a better player instead of just like shredding is like learning like where everything is and the kind of the psychology of the guitar, I guess, if you want to tie it to wrestling. But mm-hmm. um yeah, so so it's two different realms. Like I really love that the like the eighties hair and uh classic kind of rock metal vibe, but then also I can really appreciate some like old like Baroque bot classical stuff when it comes to guitar. Yeah. Like I, I really like that style. Are you a musician, Blair? I, I'm not. I okay. you know what? Growing up, um this is a little known fact. Um in junior high, we tried to start a band, but like nice. I was, I was renting a bass from the music departments and yeah. trying to like self-teach with a couple other guys that like knew a little bit about music, but we were just, it was more goofing around more than anything, but it was yeah. still fun, you know, <laughs> to try to learn something, you know. What was, instrument I, were you on? What were you playing? I, I had a bass guitar. Nice. Okay. I thought you were yeah. a bass guy. That was the vibe I was getting. Okay. Yeah. So nice. that was like the extent of it. Like later on me and a couple buddies like they kind of set up this thing where like they had microphones and like they were a little bit musically inclined and we recorded some stuff but it was just more like goofball stuff like funny songs and stuff like that nothing anything worthwhile and it was still like a cool like trying to learn bass but like right now know nothing about it so oh great okay perfect yeah so it's ready to come to the jam next week then you're you're good for that right yeah oh yeah 100 percent okay great (laughs) i remember like the first time i picked up a guitar the guy who like was kind of showing me stuff he's like taught me the first like chord to about a girl by nirvana and like that was all (laughs) i could do and that's it so that's my. i want to say that's a power chord too so if anybody speaks guitar it's like the same shape that you're just kind of rotating through all over the guitar. Um, but it's a good chord to know. So if you ever refresh yourself on that one, you can pretty much play anything from 80s rock. You'll okay, be fine. Well, <laughs> you know, I am getting more into the 80s rock. You know, I've started listening to a lot more Dio. There's hope. So, you know. yeah, Dio, very good. You know what? Yes. I'm going to stand by it, though. Ozzy's the better Black Sabbath vocalist. Yeah. Yeah. I like. I, have, I never really... I haven't gotten into much Black Sabbath yet, I should say, yeah. because I find with music, like I'll all of a sudden I'll be like, I really want to listen to this. And then I'll just go like right into it. Like I had a huge nine inch nails phase for a while. You know, oh, sure. Huge, yeah. yeah. Uh, huge Metallica phase, huge Megadeth phase, but it took time, a huge Deftones phase, even though like they were pop, like really popular 20 years ago, so to say, mm-hmm. but like, you know, three years ago, that's when I'm like, these guys are the greatest fucking band ever. You know? So <laughs> it just, it takes time. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that. So what was, like, what was the first CD you ever bought? Mm, um, With your own money, not like a gift uh, or anything. I was, I was a LimeWire kid, you know? Like I okay. was just filling my computer with virus. But it was a lot, <laughs> it was a lot of Jim Johnson WWE tracks. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, okay. Like I love the... The Attitude Era, Undertaker, um, like metal Ministry of Darkness theme he had. Like I, I used to have a, a cheap little MP3 player that I think I my parents gave me for my birthday uh, when I was like 12. Um, it, when I, well, everybody had like iPod shuffles, or like the small ones. Mm-hmm. I had like this like cheap little battery guy. But I used to just fill it with WWE tracks. Like just everyone. Everyone who was around at that time and like from – from 80s Hogan to like Carlito Cool. I had all that on there. And everyone's like, why are you listening to wrestling tracks? I'm like, why aren't you listening to wrestling tracks? Exactly. Um, so that's what I listened to a lot as a kid. And then I got into Ozzy and then like Aerosmith and GNR and all these groups. Um, my first CD that I bought, uh, not to be that guy, it was, it was a vinyl and it was a copy of Blizzard of Oz. Um, okay. It wasn't an original print though. It was like an 82 reprint, which is still good. Still mm-hmm. close as I can get to 1979, 1980. But that was the first one I bought. Um, and then I started kind of collecting a couple of his vinyls. And I, I only have a couple left of like his older stuff. Anything that's like CD era onwards, it's not, I, I don't care too much about, but just getting everything from like 1979 to like 87, No Rest for the Wicked era. I really, I'm looking for a No More Tears vinyl. So if anybody knows a lead for a cheap one of those, mm, please. I'm glad you mentioned Aerosmith because that was the first cassette tape I ever bought. So amazing. Get a grip. I loved it. 
Good at, get a grip is a good one. Getting your wings is my favorite Aerosmith album. It was, uh, I think, because living on it, living on the edge. Like I saw the video for that because I'm old, and I was like, "This is incredible! This is the greatest band!" Yep. And then they're like, they're dropping crying and crazy, and Alicia Silverstone's all over the videos, and Liv Tyler, and you're like, "These guys are the greatest band ever." Yeah, so that I was the cassette tape. That was their like peak hot girl shit. Like they were, that was like the wildest Aerosmith was around that time. Yeah. Uh, Steven Tyler must have been sober too at that time. <laughs> but must I can still, I'll still go back and listen to the older stuff. Like I love Dream On, love Sweet Emotion, oh, yeah. like all that sort of stuff. But I teach, the- I teach Dream On to almost all of my students just when they, we want to learn like how to uh, finger pick. So when anytime you're ditching the pick and you're trying to play this way, because it's a lot of easy shapes, but it sounds really hard and it's actually quite easy. So I, I always get my students to learn that one. So it's interesting you bring that up. The uh, I'll say this last thing and then we'll, we'll continue on because I don't want to make it about me. But I remember going to, at the mall, they'd have like a record show where it's just boxes of records. Oh, yeah. you know. So you're flipping through, it's, you know, $3. And I remember I, I must've been like 14 at the time. And I went home with a Jimi Hendrix record and a Twisted Sister album because it had, <laughs> we're not going to take it on it. And I thought it was nice. so cool. That so. is cool. Do you still have it? I still have it. I have a small collection of vinyl because of my many years working at HMV and getting it at a cheap price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah. So I've got some uh, a few gems on there. Decent, decent. Um. Now, I mean, let's let's talk about the transition to the managerial role because you know you're a big part of the Rads. You know, being a managerial figure for them. How did that come to be? Right. So, um, anybody who knows. Anything about the Rads will know that like our our friendship was like pretty much the origin of the wrestling faction. Um, a lot, of, all of the guys in the Rads, so Mitch Clark, Rich King, T.Y. Jackson, Lumberjack, Larry Woods, uh, we were all Monster Pro Wrestling guys uh, trained there. Um, and by the end of 2019. Um, early 2020, everybody was just kind of starting to want to branch out to work more people and newer people and kind of um, move into different promotions. Uh, Exclusivity was super strong back then in Alberta. So it's like you had to work for one promotion and that was it. And it still is for a couple places, but for the most part, it's, it's pretty open now, which is awesome. Um, But we were looking for just more opportunities, new opportunities. Um, But before we left, we'd done a lot of road trips together for some smaller shows. Um, So we developed this really uh, unique, really cool friendship that we had. Um, and even after some of us had left MPW and a couple were still there, we were still doing a couple spot shows here and there, going to Saskatchewan, uh, Red Deer, whatever, just kind of any spot shows that we could pick up so we could all work together again. Mm-hmm. So when Love Pro Wrestling launched, uh, when they did the the first show with the crossover with Force Pro, um, we were all invited to work on that event um and i think if my facts are correct i know rich and oh ty jackson wasn't initially on that show i don't believe but rich and larry and maybe mitch all left around the same time um and then happened to get booked for lpw as well so it all kind of worked out where we were working together again um and we were kind of like it'd be cool to do something where we actually get to play off of you know, the truth that like how close we are and like the friends that we are and use that for wrestling. Um, so uh, Spencer Love agreed. And um, basically, let, let's just say I got my manager's license then. Um, and you know, the, I, I was going to ask, like, how difficult is it getting an Alberta manager's license? Because I mean, well, you know, it's, illegal. <laughs> it's uh, I'm going to say it's not very hard. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave it at that. It is, it is pretty easy. You can pretty much get a name tag and say I'm a manager, but <laughs> it's about what you do after that. That's what I would say in Alberta. It's more about like what you, what you prove and how your clients do following being like I'm a manager. It's like well now collect some people and and do good with them. And, and that's why I always talk about Thaddeus. It's like he's always been pretty solid at doing that. Um, but basically, our whole purpose of the group, as far as LPW goes, was to um, establish basically guys who were never um, highlighted in or featured or used on shows. Um, well, we felt like we were 
you know, capable of executing matches and, and working the same rate that the guys who were um, in the other promotions around the province. So when LPW opened and it was a fresh start for everybody to kind of start square one in a new place, we wanted to make a statement. Um, so when we finally got our stuff together and we finally established the group, the whole purpose of it was to kind of elevate um, my friends who I'd felt for years had been kind of missed when it came to talking about the, the best workers around the province. Um, so them forming and working together. Um, I mean, we did some incredible stuff in our first year, man. Like we um, across multiple promotions we had at one point, I want to say we were holding about seven different titles all at once. Like yeah. Mitch had, had the, the challenge title at LPW, the heavyweight title at Can-Am, the heavyweight title at RCW. Rich had three three tag titles, I want to say. He had the LPW, the Can-Am, and the RCW. Larry had the Can-Am tag titles and the LPW tag titles. T.Y. had um, the tag titles at RCW and the top talent uh, number one contender briefcase at the time. Like Everybody was so decorated. Um, and I think that that was a telltale sign to prove that like, yeah, we'd actually done something with this. Like what we had set out to do and establish a group and, and show that we can work with everybody else and, and be, you know, considered the same as the, the best in the area. Uh, we, we were able to achieve that. Um, and I mean, we've had some excellent matches along that time. I shouldn't say we, the boys have had some excellent matches with the MRB and, and all seven and all the clandestine society stuff along with in other places and other promotions, we've all been able to do such great work. And uh, I think if it wasn't for the rads, I don't know if we'd all be able to be featured in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think it elevated everybody and me included being able to go from uh, a local referee, which is, you know, recognized by the people in the scene, maybe like the fans yeah. as far as that goes, but then to move into a manager role, I even get to be more present with the fans and, and have a, a name and a, a character value. So that has helped me as well. Um, being able to, you know, just at least have some face value when it comes to anything that's going on outside of the bubble of Alberta, at least uh, I can not necessarily be recognized, but I have something to prove for it. I can show some matches I was involved with. I can show what my clients have done. Um, mm-hmm. Being a, uh, the stuff that the Raz have done has just elevated everybody in the group. I would say. You mentioned, you know, being in that managerial role, being yeah. at ringside. Now, I mean, it, it's so easy just to for a fan to see, like, okay, he's the manager. You know, might get involved. But what's something that people might not expect to know that, like, is a big? Uh, I don't want to say responsibility, but like, just something they might not understand when it comes to managing. Right. Um, the biggest thing I, I'll I gotta pull the curtain back a little bit for this, this, but like the biggest thing I've learned from managing is it's it's an ability to read a room when mm-hmm. the guys are focused on wrestling. So I'm able to look around the room while they're doing all the crazy shit that they do in the ring and go, okay, well this side of the room isn't reacting the same way the other side is. Maybe we got to do something to get a reaction so I can do something in that time to get them invested. Um, being able to catch what the other team is literally doing, seeing what their plan is trying, helping my team communicate better. So we know what's going on. Um, It's helped as far as crowd reaction and perception goes. I I think having a manager is huge, especially when you're, you know, you've gone from like the rads have done where we've gone from being um, pretty evil people to trying really hard to, to be faces, to be, um, you know, approachable, to, to be liked. Um, and I think a manager really helps with establishing you as a bad guy, I think at a root, but it's also able to really help establish like a change in character, a change in face, a change in perception. Um, Cause whatever can't be told through the wrestling aspect storytelling I can do as a manager through the the small talk I have with the fans or the reactions to things that I see in the ring or the things I get to say on commentary or the things I get to say in promos. I, it gets to be, I get to kind of be that, that bridge between the wrestlers and the fans as far as what's going on here in this match. What story are we telling? I get to help and fill the holes um, and make things perfectly clear. I find that's what a good manager does. I think. You had mentioned, you know, the 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 transition, you know, from you know the evil the evil rats, you know, getting yeah. more towards the good side. Do you have a preference when it comes to that? Like, do you prefer the more the heel antics? I do 
prefer yeah. being evil. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I think part of that is from being a ref and the fans hating me for so many years. It's like a part mm. of it is like I get to say what I wanted to say when I was supposed to be silent. Um, and and I've really enjoyed that time. I find it hard. I I find it difficult, and maybe it's my lack of experience because I've only been managing for like a year, almost a year and a half. Um, but like I I don't know. I'm trying to learn the ways as a ref, I'm sorry, as a manager, how to elevate the talent when I am working as a face. It's Mm -hmm. a a cool thing to, to really experiment with. But if you think of the greatest managers to have worked, Paul Bearer, Paul Heyman, Mr. Fuji, Jim Cornette, um, they're, they're all bad guys. Mm -hmm. They're all pretty corrupt dudes. Um, when I think of face managers, the list is small and typically they're valets. Like it's Miss Elizabeth or, um, uh, um, that's about it. Like Jimmy Hart, when he was a face, that was good, but he was more just yelling and shouting. It's like, it's the involvement that changes too. It's like what I'm willing to do to help a client win as a, as a heel, that window is wide open. Cause I'm going to cheat all I want as long as I don't mm-hmm. get caught and being a ref, it's helpful because I, think I, I know how to manipulate the refs. Um, but as a face, it's like you're you're there to to elevate your talent and to present them as the excellent athletes that they are. But mm-hmm. what like like that's that becomes your purpose. So I'm trying to learn what that new purpose is as a as a good guy manager. Um, like what is something that I can do to elevate my talent in a, but also assert my presence at ringside. It's really easy as a heel. It's really, mm-hmm. I, I find it is because there's so many windows of opportunity to try and capitalize to get your team over. Cause you don't care about that kind of thing. But when you're really trying to be a good, a good guy or, and, and trying to, to work that like face, I guess I say in quotations, face style. Um, it, it's just different. It's different. It's, it's harder. There's I, cause I can't involve myself. I can't help them cheat. I can't distract the ref. If anything, I should be keeping the ref's attention on what's going on in the ring, yeah. pointing out like the flaws. So there's an element of, of highlighting the cheating. I think that helps with the face manager, but you kind of need a heel one to do the cheating for you. 100%. The other side. It's a tricky um, thing. I'm really, I like, I'm learning. I'm learning as I go. I've been, I've been a good guy in LPW for like three months. It hasn't been long. I'm working on it. I'm, I'm really trying not to be a piece of shit anymore. But you know, us as fans and viewers, we're, we're seeing the attempts. And all we can say is like, okay, well, that's good. Okay, we're thanks. I appreciate so. it. <laughs> I'm trying, um, man. I'm really trying. Let, let's talk a little bit about uh, LPW 18 happened a few yeah. weeks ago. First off, mm-hmm. your, your, your drip for that uh, event oh, was – immaculate um yeah it was a big talk perfection is what i would describe it as thank you yeah it it was incredible so me and plug Uh, both loved it so Um, that's great (laughs) now coming out of lpw 18 i mean let's let's talk about it because i mean you know ty and rightfully so has an argument that he should be wearing the title right now um the fans think it. Many of the people watching at home were under the impression that he should be champion. And you guys have major points to for him to get another shot. Yes. Um, coming up at LPW 19, he's going to be facing Reed Matthews, the thickness. Good. Hopefully he wins, gets that opportunity. Now, at the end of LPW 18, it was straight out of uh, a bar fight. Everything was going on. I mean, what are your thoughts coming out of that? What like Let's get you know, the opinion from someone who was in the thick of things. Right. Um, okay. Well, we can start with TY. Um, without a doubt, TY is, he is dubbed as the people's champion of LPW because he is, I heard every single time he was out there at that show, whether it was uh, at the beginning or at the end, helping out uh, during the brawl, like everybody is chanting TY's our champ. And, and that's not me even making it up. It's literally everyone. Like, uh, it's undeniable. So the, like, it, it's upsetting to see that, you know, this isn't being recognized by the office, but I like, finally we got our point across that. It's like, we it, like the rads need our opportunity to take on Zoe and to, and to kind of right some wrongs, not only for what we've done to people, but also to prove that like, that's not the way that we do it in LPW. 
Like mm-hmm. we should really be celebrating the people who have like the proper sportsmanship and really want to like be there. And Zoe has cheated since uh, her change in attitude last year. Um, so it, it's like, it, it was, I'm glad that Spencer, it, we finally got through to him and, and granted we have to jump through some more hoops and understandably. So um, if, if T Y can actually not, if he actually can, when he does defeat Reed Matthews um, and we get that contract, that's us solidifying it. That's the top of the mountain, man. Like if we get, we get that LPW championship, um, like, like that speaks for itself. And, and I think it's really important that we get that opportunity. And I know that TY is capable of beating thickness. Now, on top of that, we have all this conflict with seven, um, mm-hmm. who has been a pain in my ass. And like I said earlier, I absolutely hate Thaddeus Archer. I can't stand him. Um, and having to deal with him on a regular basis at LPW is enough. But when he's sneaking up and attacking me from behind, like he did in that brawl, like he has done before egging me on and almost presenting this face that I'm somehow like the bad guy and what he's trying to do and how he's trying to manipulate things as things have fallen through in the last few months, as you've seen him and Jack pride and all the guys at seven that what they're put up to, like, we're just sick of it, man. And, and I'm mm-hmm. sick of them. And then clandestine is always involved too. And they're always, and I understand where they're coming from. Like I, like, and they're all incredible athletes. So is seven, but it's just like, I've seen, and I've dealt with so many of these guys for so long in LPW, whether it was early rads and clandestine stuff to the earlier this year with seven. And now all three of us involved, like, it's just like MRB pointed out. I want to say at LPW 17, he had this big point of pointing at Larry in the middle of the ring and screaming, something needs to change. But, but and I, at first I was mad about it, but I, I kind of get it. Like I, mm-hmm. things do need to change. And it, as upsetting as it is to see them win the tag titles, like I, I fully believe that they're, they're going to beat Pirellera for those titles mm-hmm. next month. And that being said, I know that TY is going to win that match. We are going to get our LPW championship match. We're going to win that LPW championship match. But while this is all going on, I can't help but worry like what Seven's going to do and how they're involved and how they're going to try and screw us around. Because they've been doing that since they formed. Like like Jack Pride has had an issue with Lumberjack Larry dating back to CWC stuff, which was a a, a, uh, sorry, a red promotion in 2016. Um, Like, I just I don't trust those guys. Like, I'm really I'm, I'm counting on things going the way it should and doing the right thing. But it's hard when you deal with people like that. So to have them all run out and start attacking people, like I was fr- like, I was scared to see TY running out to go attack Zoe after seeing what's going on in the main event. But it was one thing for them to lay out Rich with a chair and absolutely scramble Larry's brain with that title, like in kicking Larry in the nuts and maybe getting attacked from behind by Thad. Like, like this is exactly what Michael means. Like this is why things need to change. Yeah. So I think over the next month, maybe a couple months by the end of the year, early next year, you're going to see some huge, huge changes with how the Rads execute this playoff with getting this opportunity to actually face Zoe, dethroning Zoe, de- you know, clandestine, maybe even dethroning Paralira. Like this is, mm-hmm. this is the changes we need to see. Okay. Uh, I appreciate you speaking on that because coming out of that, you know, there was a lot of questions and I, I mean, watching that, I was curious as to uh, just the, the mindset looking at things. So I, I do appreciate that. Um, I got one more for you and then I'll, I'll let you enjoy your evening. But I mean, right now the Alberta wrestling scene is it, it is on fire. So to say, you know, like it is better than I think it's ever been. Yeah. Like it is, you're seeing, promotions putting on these incredible cards so many incredible talents wrestling out of there what would you like to see for the province heading into the future when it comes to wrestling we have done so much in the last few years to open up and and erase the concept of exclusivity um and allowing people to work everywhere because at the end of the day wrestlers are private contractors um Mm -hmm. when it's at this level of independent wrestling so it's to erase the stigma that if you work one place, you can't work another. It's to show the new generation of workers and wrestlers and referees and managers to go out and respect yourself enough to go get those bookings, to always be working if you want to be working, always be training wherever you want, whenever you want, as long as you're putting in the work and being present and having that good attitude. 
I think Alberta has done such a great job with opening those doors. I think my my goal personally, if I, if I can have any influence on the scene and what I want to see Alberta continue to do is to break that door down. I, I would love to see where at the end of the day, everybody is, and I know that there's always, there's always something, whether uh, egos are heat or whatever, but it would just, we've done so much work and it would be so great to just have a scene where we all can just work together. And, mm-hmm. and we've done such a great thing and, and so many promotions have done that, but there's still room for that. There's still places that, that, that will hold that. And that's, and I can understand why to an extent, but at the end of the day, as, as workers and, and re- wrestlers and referees and managers and, and announcers, all of us united, like we, we can open that door even more. So mm-hmm. I, I'm excited to see that happen. Perfect. Um, now, I, I mentioned before, you know, because you asked if there was anything to prepare for today. And I said, yeah, I asked for a match recommendation. So one right. that you're a fan of that you think the listeners should go and check out whether it's, you know, WWF or independence, but just something that, you know, you really enjoy. Right. Um, okay. So there's two options to this. My okay. most watched rewatched match of all time is a ladder match. It's WrestleMania 16. It's the first of the saga of what they would become TLC matches. But at the time it was just a triangle ladder match. So it's edge and Christian versus the Dudley boys versus Matt and Jeff Hardy. Uh, excellent match. Like probably my most, well, it is my most rewatched match of all time when it comes to TV wrestling. I think <laughs> that is an excellent match. And the other one that comes to mind, honestly, is what I referenced earlier is the Armageddon hell in a cell. I, <laughs> I, and it's, it's not the most uh, like perfect match by any means like it's got some wacky shit going on in it but uh the story they told at that time having so many players in the wwf contending for that title and being able to fill in that spot all of them could have at that time it would have made sense to put the title on rock stone cold rikishi taker triple h and kurt angle it all makes sense and it it really going into that match i had no idea who was going to win well, I mean, I, I was sick, so I had no idea what was going on. But, <laughs> but watching, I should rephrase that. Watching it, I can see why people would have no idea who's going to yeah. win because it, it, there's so many open opportunities in that match. I think, I think it's really cool. It's my first memory of wrestling as well. Mm-hmm. Um, now, for upcoming shows, where can the listeners find you in action? Right. Okay. Well, you can catch me at every single LPW show. So I mean, we've got one in Sherwood Park on September 16th, uh, crossover with the Sherwood Park Crusaders hockey team. Uh, you can see me um, at LPW. Is it 18 coming up or 19? I am so 19. bad for that. Um, 19. Boom. You can catch yes. me there. I'll be refing at the clandestine society show the day before. Uh, you can also catch me all over the independent scene across um Alberta and Saskatchewan. I will be at a plethora of RCW and Can-Am shows coming up. Um, a rumored, a rumored, unconfirmed dungeon wrestling show coming up. I will be on that. Um, I have a couple others that I have in the bag here. I'm looking at my calendar. I actually, I keep a calendar of all the dates going on in Alberta. Um, and you can catch me pretty much watching anything in Edmonton on a day that I am not booked because I, I'm very proud of the fact that I put the conscious effort in to watch everything going on in the city. Um, Mm -hmm. Not only for the sake of being a worker and knowing what's going on, um, but as a fan, I just, I really love the Edmonton wrestling scene. Always Mm -hmm. have. Um, And for those listening, where can they find you on social media or basically anything you want to plug right now? Yeah. So you can get me at uh, Instagram at judge.referee and my Twitter handle as I search it up because I'm rarely on there. It is no, I am not going to change my number of Twitter. Thanks though. Um, <laughs> wow. I'm such a boomer, man. I can't even see my own account. What's going on here at ref judge Omen two O's last name, two O's it's Dutch. That's how vowels work in Dutch. I don't know if you speak Dutch or not. I, I do not. The oh, there you go. Two O's is pronounced O. The extent of my Dutch knowledge is that there was uh, some Dutch characters on Shorezy on one of the hockey teams. That <laughs> so there that's all go. I know. There you go. That's Second fact that you know about Dutch is two O's <laughs> is pronounced O. 
<laughs> I was curious when, like, you know, I'm like, okay, do I, is it, ooh? No, it's a common, man, like, no, it's no, a common misconception. My whole life, man. But no, it's Omen. It's Omen. Okay. Yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Blair. This has been really fun. I'm glad I got to uh, talk to you outside of a Between Two Beards moment when I'm ruining their show. So thank you for having me on. Thank you so much to Ben, and thank you for checking out the podcast. I say it every time. I will always say it. I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to listen to me talk wrestling. If it's your first time listening, you can find me up on Twitter, at GreenMakerPod. Basically, any social media, I'm on there, just GreenMakerWrestlingPodcast. Um, email GreenMakerPodcast at gmail.com. Up on all podcast streaming platforms. You can find me weekly on For Exposure here on Love Wrestling doing, uh, sorry, you can find me on Love Wrestling doing For Exposure with my good friend Pluggo as we take a look at the world of independent wrestling. That's every Saturday. It's a lot of fun, so check it out. There's so much great Love Wrestling content, so make sure you subscribe to the YouTube, follow them on Twitter, all that sort of, all of that fun stuff. Thanks again for checking out the podcast. We'll talk soon.